we here at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed want to share a stress warning with you. Our cases and stories involve mental illness, sexual assault, suicide, gun violence, and emotional trauma. Please listen with care. If you or someone you know is suffering in the U.S., please reach out to 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Hey! Hey everyone, Mel and Beck here. We just wanted to drop in and remind you to follow us on our social medias. So our Instagram and our Facebook are Rocky Mountain Red Handed, and our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. Yeah, so go and check out our social medias. We always post great pics that have to do with our uh, cases, case notes, anything that we find interesting, we share with you guys. Also, Mel, what's that email address? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us in your case recommendations. We want to know about local cases in your community and how they have affected your towns. So hit us up. Let us know of, of the cases you want to hear in the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend, Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Hey, Melanie, how are you? I'm good, Becky. How are you today? Good. You ready for a story today? I am ready. Well, this story kind of ties back to literature. I love to read. I know you love to read. I do love to read. Yes. We're in a book club together in case you were wondering. I fell in love with reading. I mean, it's just an escape from reality, getting lost in a book in about the fourth grade. Shout out to Mr. Andrus at Northridge Elementary. He gave me the gift of loving to read. So when did you really start to, to love to read, Mel? I... I love when teachers just instill that love in their kids. That's so awesome. So I honestly don't remember a time I didn't love reading. So I would say probably third, third grade or so. Boxcar Children, I love to read Mm -hmm. back in the day. Lots of Nancy Drew, lots of good reading. The Hardy Boys. I didn't really read the Hardy Boys, but. Yeah, I love my my all-time favorite um, YA book is probably The Westing Game. Did you read the rest of I have not game? read it, and I'm going to have to go back so and read it. I had my kids read it. Yeah, R.L. Stein, Christopher Pike. There's so many good mysteries for our young adults out there. Beck, did you ever read Lois Duncan's I Know What You Did Last Summer? I didn't read that book, but I did read Stranger With My Face. It's one of her other more popular books. You know, I, of course, saw the movie with every other teenager in 1997. Except for me, because I did not do scary movies back then. <laughs> And, and I still have never gone back and watched it. We need to have a movie night and watch it because it is pretty good. You got to love Freddie Prince Jr. I did love Freddie Prince Jr. Yes, for sure. Yeah, the movie stars Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Ryan Felipe, and Freddie Prince Jr. It was a huge movie. It was really, I mean, everyone saw it except for Melanie. Except for me. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, all of this actually ties into our story today. Lois Duncan is a famed author of many young adult mysteries. Uh, She suddenly stopped writing suspense thrillers in 1989. 
Her daughter, Caitlin, was brutally and needlessly murdered in Albuquerque, New Mexico. In fact, Lois Griffin publicly said, quote, I went weak after Kate's murder. How could I ever think about creating a novel with a young woman in a life-threatening situation? Oh, my heart goes out to her with that. I can't Mm -hmm. imagine going back and having to write that type of mystery. Mm -hmm. Today, we are going to share with you the story of three young victims forever linked together, Althea Oakley, Stella Gonzalez, and Caitlin Arquette. Victim number one, Althea Oakley. Althea was just 21 years old on June 22, 1988. She was a student at the University of Mexico in Teos, New Mexico, and loved her college life. Class, friends, study, party, repeat. It was just her cycle, like Mm -hmm. a lot of college students. Every student, yeah. It was a Wednesday, and she had spent the evening at a birthday party at a frat house with friends, including her boyfriend. Well, unfortunately, Althea and her boyfriend got into a pretty bad argument, and she had decided to call it a night. She set out to walk home alone, which is completely a move that I would do. (laughs) I don't think I would. I'm more of a scaredy cat than Becky is. No, but you don't like confrontation. I don't. I don't. I would run away from Uh confrontation. So, yeah, she's she's set set off on her own, which is, again, something I would do. Althea lived not too far away in a house with her brother. She was headed that way when a witness heard her scream just outside a home at 1320 Buena Vista Drive Southeast. Decades later, that witness came forward and spoke to KRQE News 13 in New Mexico. She requested to remain anonymous. After all of these years, she is still scared. She said that that night still haunts her. The witness lived near the corner of Buena Vista and Catherine. She was in her home and heard the screams from Althea, so she ran out of her home to help. She found Althea bloody from stab wounds. The witness said it was a lot of blood. It's been so long, but I remember she didn't want to die and she collapsed. The witness called 911 and Althea was taken to the hospital where she died. Our witness did see a man running from Althea but unfortunately she did not get a good look at him. The case quickly went cold and Althea's family would have to wait decades for any answers. I think that witness, that Good Samaritan is pretty amazing because, you know, she was a woman alone to have the courage to go out and follow the scream and help. I I think that's pretty courageous. I agree. Victim number two, Stella Gonzalez. Stella was just 13 years old when her life was taken from her. On September 9th, 1988, Stella had been walking with a friend near Central and the river in Albuquerque during the early morning hours. It was about 1.15 a.m. The two girls were stopped by a car and a short conversation took place. Suddenly, shots were fired from the car and Stella was hit in the back of the head. She died later at a nearby hospital. So there was very, very little media coverage when this poor child lost her life. We don't have many details other than the witness statement Mel shared with you guys earlier. After her death, the case went cold immediately. So now we're going to talk about victim number three, which is Caitlin Arquette. Mel, so we have a ton of details for Caitlin's story because of her family, specifically her mother, Lois Duncan, the author we were talking about earlier. Lois was very outspoken and active in the media. In fact, she wrote two nonfiction books about her daughter's case. 
Yes, so Lois is the famed author we spoke about at the beginning of the episode. She wrote, I Know What You Did Last Summer, Killing Mr. Griffin, and Stranger With My Face. And then later she wrote, Who Killed My Daughter, and One to the Wolves. She also wrote many, many more books. She was a very successful author for over 20 years. So while I was researching and writing the script, it it almost made sense to me to just focus on Caitlin's story. But Mel, I... I couldn't. I just, I couldn't leave out Stella and Althea. I didn't want them forgotten. I feel like the three girls are, are just linked. Um, I wish I had as much information on Althea and Stella, but it's just not available. It's not out there. They're all three humans. They were loved daughters and sisters, friends, and they're, they're children of God and they are missed. So I decided we would do all the three girls together Again, I apologize for not having equal info for all the girls, but, you know, we just have to work with what's available out there. So, Mel, would you start telling us about Kate's story? Of course. On Sunday, July 16th, 1989, Caitlin Arquette was just 18 years old. Her friends and family call her called her Kate, so that's what we'll call her for the rest of the episode. Kate was in the prime of her life. She had recently graduated from high school. She had just gotten her own apartment and was planning for the future. At 6 p.m. in Albuquerque, New Mexico, she stopped by her parents' home on her way to visit a new friend, Sharon Smith. Kate had a nice visit with her family and told them that she was going to go over to Sharon's house for dinner. She'd never been over to Sharon's, so she had written down directions to show the route to get to Sharon's house in Old Town. Kate also shared some hard news with her parents this evening. She had made the difficult decision to end her relationship with her live-in boyfriend. Now, bear with me on the pronunciation. So his name is Dong Noip Nguyen. Um, so she had asked her parents that if he called to see if she was there to not tell him where she was going to be that evening. Kate enjoyed a nice dinner with Sharon, and later that evening, about 10.45 p.m., she was on her way to her parents' home again, driving east down Lomas Boulevard. You know what? I wonder if she was planning on just staying there with her parents since she was kind of fighting with Dung. Yeah, oh. it kind of seems like maybe she was going back to stay at her parents' yeah, for the about night. Yeah, 10.45, you know, I bet you she's still at her bedroom there. Sometimes you just want to go home, right? It's true. <laughs> so out of nowhere... Kate was struck with two bullets to her skull. Her car jumped the median and stopped against a pole at the intersection of Lomas and Arno. Police reports state that Kate was shot twice in the head at a stoplight on Lomas and John Streets. Her car then traveled 719 feet across two lanes of traffic, bumped over the median, crossed three more lanes, went up onto the sidewalk past the Arno intersection, and crashed into a light pole. So like, she traveled for quite a bit after those gunshots. And that's so scary to just be driving along and all of a sudden you're shot out of nowhere. That's scary. Yeah. So let's take a quick break. Rocky Mountain Red Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my balance of nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my balance of nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's balance of nature, promo code REDHANDED. 
We are back from our break. So um, at this point, Kate Arquette had seemingly been shot for absolutely no reason while she was driving home from a friend's house. The shooting location was determined by broken glass from the impact of the bullets. Um, by the way, police did not gather or save any of this glass for evidence. Kate, with two gunshot wounds in her head and no exit wound, survived 20 hours in a coma, but she was pronounced dead the next evening. Okay, so we've got some interesting details that don't exactly line up that we're going to go over here. An off-duty Albuquerque Police Department violent crimes detective, Ronald Merriman, was driving by when he saw two cars parked on the sidewalk. Kate's red Ford Tempo and a VW Bug. He also saw a man standing next to Kate's car. Detective Merriman drove past the cars and he radioed in to ask the ask about the, the accident to dispatch. No accident had been reported yet, so he reported it as an accident with no injuries and turned around to go investigate. That seems weird to me. Is that what you're going to say? I was going to say it seems weird he reported no injuries. He doesn't know. I, yeah, that just seems really odd to me. Seems strange. So once he arrived on the scene, he discovered the unconscious, bloody young woman lying across both front seats in the red car. Officer Mary Ann Wallace arrived within a minute of Detective Merriman. Officer Wallace reported one car, which was Kate's, and Detective Merriman and a man talking outside of the car. So this is what she's saying she saw mm -hmm. when she pulled up. Mm -hmm. Merriman told her the driver, Kate, had been injured in a traffic accident and he had called for an, for an ambulance. Apparently this call is not found in any of the records. Yeah. Officer Wallace saw a bullet shattered driver's window and realized this was a crime scene and not an accident scene with no injuries, as was reported at first book by Merriman. She radioed for the backup to come. At that time, Detective Merriman began chatting with the witness and took the man's name, Paul Raymond Apodaca, and a phone number, which ended up being a fake phone number. Apodaca claimed he had, quote, just happened to be passing by Caitlin in her car after the shooting. Detective Merriman, Officer Wallace, and Apodaca opened the passenger door to Kate laying across the two seats. Which, I, I, again, I don't know why they would have this witness, this man that just happened to be, quote-unquote, walking by there in the, in the midst of the crime scene. That just that seems extremely odd to me. Yeah, that is, it is really weird. And it will continue to get a little weird yeah. as we go on. Yeah. So Apodaca, this random witness, is just hanging out with the cops. Yeah, apparently. Um, Detective Merriman, Officer Wallace, and Apodaca opened the passenger door to Kate lying across the two seats. Wallace noted that Kate was moaning and crying. So shortly after the call went in, the medics with Albuquerque Ambulance arrived to find no cops, no police cars, just Kate unconscious and bleeding. Yet the police reports state that Merriman and Wallace were both there at the scene when the medics arrived. So that gets really confusing. We're not sure which side to believe. We don't know. Well, it sounds like either a hectic scene or something fishy going on. Definitely. Yeah. Merriman has stated he couldn't properly interview Apodaca because, quote, he had to stay with the victim. But here we have, you know, multiple testimonies claiming he was not with the victim. 
Officer Wallace stated that Merriman told her to not interview Apodaca because he already had done so. Which he did not. <laughs> so she allegedly was, you know, started to direct traffic to busy, probably to somewhat control the scene a little bit more. Um, side note, the medics have stated that they almost missed the scene of the accident or crime because of the lack of police activity. And there was nobody to direct them to the scene. I guess customarily, there's an officer waiting, flags down, lets the, lets the ambulance know where you know it should park, that type of thing. So the scene wrapped up here on the side of the road um, with no statement or interview or anything further with that alleged witness, Apodaca. Like, none. Now, if they would have had the bright idea to, Melanie and I were just discussing this, Call it in. You have dispatch standing by. Call it in. Call in the license plate. Call in his name. Get some background information. If they would have done that, they would have found that he had a history of violent crimes against women and girls. Yes, and we don't like to pick apart the police work, but unfortunately, it seems like more could have been done in this situation. Yeah, we're doing like I'm, I am. I'm, I'm a little heated about this case. I'm doing some Monday morning quarterbacking, but it just seems, it just seems fishy yeah, that, that they just took his word. It doesn't seem like a very well-controlled crime scene. A very unprofessional. Definitely. Yeah, so we have a lot of contradictory statements, you know, just pretty messy. Uh, Lois Duncan, again, was extremely critical of the police, and eventually she hired a private investigator. Pat Caristo, the PI hired by Lois Duncan, told Albuquerque NBC that Opadaka, our witness who had just happened to be strolling by, Kate Seen, had long been suspected. PI Caristo had the opportunity to speak with Apodaca while he was in jail on unrelated charges in 1995. So he, at this time, was in jail waiting sentencing for kidnapping and raping his 14-year-old stepsister. Just sick. He's uh, Yeah, like he's a monster. He stated the only reason he did this to his 14-year-old stepsister is that he could be sent back to prison. He wanted to be in prison to protect his younger brother who was serving a 45-year sentence for murder. Yeah, I I don't even know what to say to that. It sounds, again, fishy. I'm using the word fishy a lot this episode. <laughs> While P.I. Caristo was interviewing him, he had some interesting reactions and um, statements about, about Kate's case. So the P.I. said he gave no hesitation that he was at the scene. He was pleasant cooperative. There were two times when he wasn't. And once when I asked him who was with him, he said, what do you mean somebody was with me? Who said somebody was with me? Nobody was with me. And another time he said, how did you find me? They are interesting words to me. Like you weren't supposed to find me. Yeah. And those were, that was a direct uh, quote from Caristo that, you know, he just was a little erratic about it. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The case was ice cold, but P.I. Caristo and Kate's family kept chipping away and sharing all of their findings with APD. Um, theories were researched and investigated. Some of these theories were, you know, pretty far out there, but the family didn't cut any corners. They wanted to just investigate every single lead 
that um, they could get their hands on. They knew if they kept working it, something would eventually happen. Good for them. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. a lot to put in, but if your daughter, your sister has been killed, I understand that they really wanted to figure out who this was. Yeah, and Lois Duncan literally dedicated her entire life to her daughter's case after her passing. On June 15th, 2016, after 27 years of working towards solving her daughter's murder, Lois Duncan did pass away. She died with no answers of who had taken Kate's life. Lois was 82. So now we are going to take another break to hear a word from our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my balance of nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my balance of nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. Okay, so we are back. So Mel, here's a question for you. Why does a criminal, a murderer, just confess out of nowhere? I have, guess? I have no idea why you would do that. I mean, maybe you're starting to feel bad or feel guilty. Um, I know you did some research on this, so I why did. don't you give us the real answer <laughs> so I don't sound dumb? So I did some, <laughs> I did some digging and psychologists, criminologists, professionals, they pretty much agree on two main reasons why criminals confess. Number one, guilt and remorse. They just can't stand it any longer and they just must get it off of their conscience. You know, whether they are getting ready to meet their maker or an emotional burden, it's just too much to carry. They just need to confess. I don't feel like Apodaca would fall under this category. He doesn't seem like... Like he feels bad in any way for what happened. I, morals is not really a problem for him. <laughs> I would say that more, like serial killers probably would not fall in this category. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Number two is, this is where I think Apodaca falls. Number two is they want credit. It's a power trip. They want the publicity. They want to talk about it. They want to share their brilliant crime. And they want others to marvel at their intelligence and the perfection of their crime, how they just tricked everyone. They want to be the center of attention. Definitely. That sounds more like him. Um, Also, sometimes a confession can be a pretty strong bargaining tool. Mm -hmm. They can usually score themselves a better deal with an old confession. Um, They do know that investigators love to clean up cold cases, and so they use that to their advantage. Mel, you're absolutely right. Um, So, spoiler alert, Apodaca confessed to the murders we've been sharing today. So Paul Raymond Apodaca was initially arrested on a probation violation while homeless in July of 2021. He told police at the University of New Mexico that he had committed several murders and rapes in the 80s and 90s. So uh, I love the detail he gives. He said several. And in 
the 1980s and the 1990s. Very specific. Very, That's I very mean, helpful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Apodaca had a violent history. You know, remember he had his prison stay earlier in our story for um, the rape and kidnapping of his of his little stepsister. Yeah, this guy is just a total monster. And mm-hmm. even if it was just that one crime, he's just not a good person. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, he was the very first person to register as a sex offender under the new law requiring registration in Bernalillo County. He spent his entire life homeless or in and out of jail or prison. Yeah, sex crime detectives in New Mexico have been investigating Apodaca since his confession. There is a huge backlog of DNA from rape kits in New Mexico. So, I mean, I think there's a really strong possibility that there is more out there. I will tell you, though, it was really interesting. I was looking at the um, Albuquerque City, was it the city or the New Mexico courts website? I forget which one, but they actually have a, a, a big section of the website dedicated to chipping away at this backlog. So um, the government is doing what they can to get those cases, you know, process the kits and get those cases moving, which I think is really cool. So in July of 2021, Apodaca sat down with the UNM police and all of a sudden, out of the blue, he confessed to multiple crimes. His first confession was Althea's, the UNM student who was walking home from the frat party. Apodaca said he was working for a company called TVI, which is now uh, CNN, as a security guard when he saw Althea walking home alone. He followed her with the plan to rape her at a nearby parking lot, but instead he decided to brutally stab her multiple times. He said he attacked her because of, and this is a direct, direct quote, and I have to tell you I hate that I kind of hate that I, I gave him a direct quote in the script, but his reasoning and his thoughts are just muddled. So I'm sorry, Mel, you have to read that. But I think what made me do it, what made me attack her was all, all the hatred I had for women. Because growing up, I seen men treating women bad and they, they go for the bad guys. And I try to be nice and be good and they just didn't want that. So I was jealous and and had hatred and I just released it. So that's a direct quote from him. And it just, it goes to show what a monster he is. Well, it's just a pitiful, weak excuse. Yeah. You want to be the nice person? Come on. What a joke. Yeah. That's, it just shows that he's just not a good person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Narcissist probably. Our anonymous witness that we spoke of earlier in our story saw Abadaka that I'm sorry that she saw Abadaka. She said, I'm glad that they found him and I hope they give him life because she didn't deserve that. Charges were filed against Apodaca on Althea's birthday. On August 19th, 2021, Althea would have been turning 52 this year. The second crime he confessed to during his sit down with UNM police was the murder of Caitlin Arquette. This was by far the most well-known crime he had committed. Yeah, so we don't know why he chose Kate that night. He seemed to just pick his victims at random, just looking for a female who was in a vulnerable position. Kate's older sister, Carrie Arquette, showed no surprise when Apodaca was finally charged. She and her family had long, long suspected him in Kate's murder. She said her and her family are very grateful to finally have a confession. What they want are answers. 
They want an explanation for Kate's murder and the mistakes Albuquerque police made at the time of the crime. Now, I can just imagine Lois Duncan, you know, she wanted the same answer. She and her family spent decades frustrated with how this case was handled. Carrie Arquette is quoted saying, This is one of the things that breaks our hearts. This man was at the crime scene with the cops. She said in a phone interview, how obvious did it need to be to look into this guy? They just let him walk away. And not only did they let him walk away, he gave them a fake phone number. So if they had called to follow up and realized the phone number was fake, that makes him look more Mm -hmm. suspicious. And this is kind of like a, a morbid thought, but... While researching this case and writing it this week, I just, I kept going back to, um, in Merriman's uh, testimony that they opened the door and Kate was still alive. And she was, quote, moaning and crying. Yeah. And Apodaca is just standing there. And it just makes my blood boil. So, um, Carrie Arquette said, quote, this confession is just to start. The family has innumerable questions, the whys and the hows, and a lot of fill in the blanks before we can sit back and think that justice has been served. It's been too many years since we've been trying to fill in those blanks by ourselves. Our last confession he has made so far, or that we at least know of, Mm -hmm. is Stella's murder. Um, Remember, Stella is our youngest victim at just 13 years old. She's a baby. Charges were filed against Apodaca in October of 2021. Deputy Commander Kyle Harstock with the Criminal Investigation Division said Apodaca could not remember Gonzalez's name, but could recall several key details from the day of her death. Stella's case received very little media coverage at the time of her death. I don't know why this makes my blood boil. You can't even remember her name. You took her life can't even remember her name. That makes me mad. 13-year-old girl. She's a baby. Mm -hmm. Deputy Commander Hartstock said, the other two cases received, from what we can find in our research, a high amount of media attention, which would have made it quite easy for him to learn the names of the people he killed. So he apparently loved to, to read up on his crimes. So Deputy Commander Hartstock continued, Quote, in this case, he didn't know, but he was able to describe the time of day and the exact location of it and the method in which he killed her. And the way he described it matches this crime scene nearly perfectly. So also crazy little side note here. Apodaca may possibly be linked to a non-fatal shooting the same day that Stella was killed. So, I mean, who knows where where this is going to go. I mean, we've got a backlog of rape kits. We've got him confessing, saying several over two decades. I mean, I'm doing air quotes here, people. <laughs> you can't see that. No, but like, um, I, I think that we are just seeing the tip of the iceberg here. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that it was only three. He's mm-hmm. a really bad guy and he wasn't being caught for these things. So, mm-hmm. of course, he continued. Apodaca was indicted in February of 2022. All three cases are charged as willful and deliberate first-degree murder under New Mexico law at the Albuquerque District Court. Apodaca has pleaded not guilty, and we will keep an eye out for the trial details. It will be interesting to see what happens. He confessed to them, so it will be interesting to see why he's pleading not guilty. And, you know, just how you said that, you know, we're going to we're gonna probably see some more, but, like, 
these three murders were only 13 months apart. I mean, there's gotta be, I, I just don't think that you decide to murder out of the blue. I mean, we usually see uh, killers or serial killers, you know, progress their crimes. And I mean, we got 13 in, in 13 months, we got three murders. It's just, it's not the end. No, it's definitely not, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, I'm, I'm sure police will keep looking into this and hopefully be able to give some closure to some more families. Mm -hmm, for sure. And speaking of family, Lois Duncan, um, it's just heartbreaking to me that she just worked so diligently and then died without, um, you know, as her daughter said, they want more answers out there, but died still not knowing who, who took her daughter's life. Yeah, definitely. And I don't know how the family feels about it going to trial. It seems like they may get some more answers if it goes to trial, but I also know that that's really hard on families to have to go through that process. So, I mean, he confessed and of course, you know, he is innocent until proven guilty. Um, but as he's pled not guilty, they, they will have to sit through that trial, which will be really hard. Yeah. So I just, the hanging around, like I already mentioned, the hanging around the car after Kate's murder it's just, it's really brazen, Definitely. really, really brazen to to just put himself right there at the crime scene. Yeah, I definitely agree. So we would love to hear your thoughts. So go to our socials and make some comments and we'd love to have a conversation about this. And um, again, when he does go to trial or if he goes to trial, we'll, we'll update you on what happens there. So until next time, keep your hands clean. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for supporting Rocky Mountain Red Handed. And please go follow us on our social medias. Um, we'd love to hear your comments and we want you to see all the pictures and the sources that we've posted. Our Instagram and our Facebook, again, are Rocky Mountain Red Handed. And our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. And don't forget to email us. Yes. Well, what's that email? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us your case recommendations from your local community. Have a great day.